Hello and welcome to episode number 63 of Future Chat from Unwind Media. Every week on this show we aim to discuss all of the week's most interesting science and tech news. This episode is brought to you by Audible.com. To help out the show and get a free audiobook of your choice as well as a free 30-day trial, please do visit audibletrial.com slash unwind today. Uh, this is a special episode of Future Chat because today is Father's Day and we have uh, our very own father-in-chief here today, Mike Cottrell. <laughs> How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing pretty good. It feels good yeah. to be a father today. <laughs> It feels good to be a father every day, That's but it true. feels especially good today. Today, just the world acknowledges that we exist, and <laughs> it's not all about the women every day. Every other day, they forget about you. Yeah. <laughs> you guys doing anything special for uh, Father's Day? Yeah, actually, we're heading over to uh, to my father-in-law's uh, place and going to watch a bit of soccer and have a barbecue, so looking forward to that. Sweet. Yeah. How about you? Uh, I am also heading over to the in-laws, but... Yeah, I don't think we're going to watch soccer necessarily. I don't think Italy's in Copa America. No. And I don't think they're playing today uh, in the Women's World Cup either. From from based on Nick's, as, and as you made, for our viewers who may not have noticed, Nick isn't with us today. Yeah. Um, but it sounded like he was checking out some events with the Women's World Cup in Edmonton. So. Yeah, he was seeing China and Cameroon, I yeah. believe. So getting a I bit th- of soccer action. I think Italy is not actually in the Women's World Cup this I don't year. think so, no. Which is seems strange because their men's team usually does France. quite well. Is France in it? I don't know. I have not. I've not paid close enough attention. I'm actually going to see a game tomorrow, and I don't actually know 100 percent who's in it because we just <laughs> wanted to see one that was in Ottawa. Right. Canada weren't playing in Ottawa, so unless they make it far enough in the tournament. But anyways, uh, we do have some stuff to follow up on from last week. Uh, the first thing I wanted to start with is more i have more apple store news so in the last last week i think it was last week at least i was talking about the experiences that i had with apple customer service uh in getting a micro fracture or a a hairline fracture on my screen uh they replaced the screen and uh so i had a few more conundra involving myself and the apple store uh, in that I had to get my entire phone replaced this week through oh, no right. fault of, of Apple's. Uh, so basically I got some, something that was somewhere between a crack and a scratch. It's really difficult to tell which that just kind of appeared. I, I take very good care of my phones as we, as we talked about, and I was chastised for after getting a crack. I'll take this opportunity um, to chastise you again. <laughs> <laughs> So some something came up on my phone and I don't I think it was a crack because I don't know like I don't put it my phone in my pocket with anything that would scratch it. But uh what ended up happening is so I took the phone in and this is kind of also another adventure in my beta uh operating system story. So on Tuesday I took my phone in and they wanted they were going to replace the screen like I had this scratch slash crack thing and they were like okay well you've only had this screen for 2 weeks. It's kind of weird that it's damaged like that already. So they were just going to replace it out of the kindness of their hearts again. Uh, and so <clears throat> as we were about to finish up the transaction and I was going to leave it for an hour to get the screen replaced, I said, oh yeah, are you, you're on the iOS 9 beta. So our our configuration machine, whatever they use to test whether the screen is actually working uh, correctly with the phone, apparently just bricks the phone on iOS 9. Like you have to 
completely restore restore from uh to stock software and they'd rather not have to go through that process and so rather than replacing the screen on tuesday they said they made me another appointment for the same time on wednesday i was going to go and back up my phone and restore to ios 8 and then bring it in and so i did that and then after about it this time it took on wednesday it took about 90 minutes to get the screen replaced and uh it didn't I I was by the time it took 90 minutes I was in a pretty big rush to get home we had softball like an hour later and so I needed to get moving so I didn't really take a very close look at the screen but to my to the best of my knowledge what it seems like happened is that they looked at the screen uh they said oh this one's already been replaced because it looks if you just glance at it it looks like there's no damage there's no big obvious like there's no spider crack or anything right. going through it looked it's very minorly damaged but they had said they would replace it and so what seems like happened is they just looked at it said oh this is the one that this one's already been done so then they just put it back in the <laughs> package and so 90 minutes later i got the phone back and i didn't even like i i looked again i because it's an easy mistake to make because i glanced at it. i was like oh yeah good it looks fine and <laughs> then i took it home and realized when i got home and like it was far too late to do anything about it that day what is happening? This is the exact same screen. The damage is in the exact same spot. Like this is too much of a coincidence. Uh, and so I made an appointment on Thursday, possibly Friday. I forget the exact timeline. Uh, actually, no, it was Friday. And so I went in on Friday and basically told them this whole story. And I was all ready to wait another hour to get the screen replaced. And then they were just like, all right, we're not going to replace your screen. Um, we're just going to, replace the phone we're just going to give you a new phone because that'll take five minutes instead of taking another hour they're very they have very good customer service other than this tiny error of sounds not more like lazy customer service but no but i mean they want they want to make it expedient for you and sure like i had only been using the phone for a day so it's not like i had a bunch of stuff on there that i was going to lose if they just gave me a new phone right and so i was pretty happy that it took five minutes and not an hour because I didn't really want to wait an hour. And I also should point out, they're very strict about having appointments for things. Um, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, Mike. Yeah, I've, I've gone in and... Because it was about my headphones. The, the one yeah. time they weren't working, yeah. I was and they're like, oh, do you have an appointment? I'm like, no. Like, oh, you got to make an appointment. <laughs> yeah. Like, you always have an appointment. Like, it's just headphones. Yeah. People don't like that. But uh, if you... Like, it, it makes sense. Everyone else... When you walk in and you're like, oh, I need an appointment. Like, what what the heck's going on everyone else in that store who's getting service has an appointment yeah it, so it makes sense but so what i did is i showed up uh it was about 20 or 30 minutes before my appointment i made my appointment for the soonest time that i could that they had available i showed up it was 4:40 was my appointment i showed up before 15 and they just the guy himself the guy at the, at the genius bar that was checking people in was just he just went back and handled it himself because it was obvious that i had been through like i had been sitting in an Apple store in the last month, I'd been sitting there for like four hours. So it was just like they wanted to just figure this out for me. So I was really glad they did that. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I made sure to tell the guy. I always get amazing customer service here. This they Someone made this small error, this, like overlooked the screen replacement. But it wasn't worth, like I was just like, I made it very clear to the guy. I like your customer service. You did the right thing at every mm-hmm. step of the way here. Right. So, again, that's, as I said before, that's why I always recommend apple because there's no I, we've talked about this in many episodes past but there's no android store there's no there's microsoft stores but who really goes to those 
Like it's it's nice to have a really goes to those. Lots of people do. (laughs) I know. No, I know. I'm just I'm just teasing. Uh, (laughs) It's nice to have a place you can go, like a physical retail location, to take technology back straight to the manufacturer. And I am actually now that you mentioned Microsoft stores, like I am actually excited to see where those go and and potentially start using them if or when I switch to to a Windows phone for my next phone. Yeah. Um, Because it sounds like yes, they are trying to replicate or emulate the Apple store, but that's a good thing because yeah, Apple yeah. does do it right. And I think every, every retail outlet can take a lesson from Apple. No kidding. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's my Apple store story. And I'm now down to, after having installed beta software, beta Apple software on three of my devices in the last two weeks, uh, I'm now down to only one still having beta software on it. The, the old iPad. So you haven't put the beta back on your phone yet? I've ha- I had the last 48 hours since I got that phone replaced. I've been in the house other than sleep. I've been in the house for maybe two hours and now I'm doing this and then we're heading off to do stuff. So yeah. maybe Monday, maybe Wednesday. We'll see. Yeah. Actually not definitely not Monday because we're going to that world cup game. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I will put it back because I have the backup of iOS nine on there. I just yeah. have to go through the process. Um, but yeah, so you have a story here next. I don't actually know what this is following up on yet, but um, what do you what do you want to follow up on? Well, a while ago, it was probably at least a month ago, if not two, mm-hmm. uh, there was a story about a grad student whose funding got cut from her program, so she wasn't able to finish her, her thesis. So I guess as a last-ditch effort, she went to, I can't remember, I think it was a GoFundMe. Yeah. I, I, I want to say GoFundMe. That's- What's that? It was bats, right? The one we yeah, talked about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she had done that, but it was more of a like. So, so she went to GoFundMe to start a campaign to raise money to finish her thesis, but that was more of a plea slash. Oh, this you know I've worked so hard, I don't want it to end, kind of thing. It was, I'd say it wasn't tasteful, but it, I okay. felt bad for her. It was like, oh, that's too bad. This this is more of a story of a success where a department made a point to they created a video, like a YouTube video, an animated type thing, to explain what their project was and gain support and interest in it from the public and thereby re- raising money through this kind of awareness campaign, I guess you could call it. And this was for a type of... Uh, uh, mollusk that is invasive and destroys the the ecosystem for for other animals i think it was coral reefs i think it was possibly destroying but something under Mm -hmm. the sea um and i guess you know it was a five minute clip uh for a five minute informational video kind of in a i guess i don't know the way that a lot of people like any of the pbs studios or even cgp gray videos are kind of quick they're to the point and they're interesting and they get a lot of attention so this is a similar type uh, initiative, and they ended up actually raising twenty thousand uh, dollars for their for their research just through this crowdfunding method. So I guess it was a good a good proof of concept, and I don't actually know whatever came of that that it, that GoFundMe project. I guess we could look it up to see where it's at, but yeah, I can't imagine it it would have the same sort of success that this did because it's not. They, they didn't generate any content that was easily shareable and that you could kind of jump on board with and relate to. Whereas this one, they kind of put that effort in to make a video 
and that proved to be kind of the secret ingredient for for their campaign. Um, so she wrote this person wrote a medium post and kind of suggested that it might be, uh, I guess, the funding of the future for these types of things where there might be a smaller research project, but that you can generate a lot of interest in just by kind of making the effort to get the word out there and and get people on board with it. Uh, so I think they said they raised twenty thousand from three hundred and some people. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's it's good to see that that kind of thing that that kind of thing happened and uh, public funding or just school funding doesn't have to be a limitation on on research happening. Right. Um. So. I looked up the Bat Research Project, which okay. is actually pretty easy to find, considering uh, it got sixteen thousand dollars, which was one hundred one hundred and seven percent of its fifteen thousand dollars funding. Well, there goal. you go. This yeah. is real time follow up right there. That's good. <laughs> I'm I'm glad she met her goal because yeah, yeah, it's really awesome. There you go. So, but that two, yeah, that was back in February. Yeah, two successes, proofs proofs of concept, and I guess hopefully, ideally, we wouldn't need to see more of this because there should be enough funding to begin with, but it's good to see that the funding can be generated through, through other means. Yeah. Aside from sponsorships uh, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. It is certainly, uh, an alternate way to go. And it's a, it's a pretty cool way to go. Cause you, if something like muscles can get funded, then it seems like that's not the most, like it's not the sexiest sort of research. It's not the one that gets big money from, from government or from, uh, industry. If that can get, $20,000 $20,000 then something that is super cool and has lots of buzzwords and, and uh, interesting tech stuff could almost certainly get funded Yeah, a lot easier. I guess even at that point, you might even want to go to venture capitalists or something to get <laughs> funding. Yeah. But it's cool that people are actually kind of engaged in this. And yeah. it says it's only 361 people that, yeah. that funded it. So that's, that yeah, sounds like a very low number. I kind was of doing a quick division and that sounded like, like this over 50 bucks per person that yeah. 60 Although it could have been a couple big benefactors. Yeah. As no, well. That's true. Yeah. Uh, so the last thing we have to follow up on here is. Oh, sorry. Hyperloop. Before we move on. Oh, one, yeah. one of the notes that I just remember one of the notes on this, uh, this crowdfunding that they did is that with Kickstarter and I think other crowdfundings, you can have the rewards levels for yeah. the amount that you donate. And this one, they actually made a point that, one of the rewards levels was naming the bacteria after, like, according to what the person wanted it to. Okay. I don't know what level that was, but I guess they found that that was a very big contributor to the amount that they got was how they tiered the rewards levels. And kind of, because, yeah, when you contribute, you, you do want something out of it. As much as it's a, like, a selfless thing, it's like, well, you know, if you get a, a little bonus out of being able to contribute, then that kind of makes it. Uh, the initiative a bit more so yeah right. they found that that was a cool thing so they i think they named the bacteria after uh, one of the people that that contributed because that was one of the rewards levels probably for you know thousands of dollars if you contributed it it would right allow you to do that so cool yeah uh okay so the last piece of follow-up is from it's more hyperloop news this came out it was either the day of our last episode or right like it was immediately after or the following day but uh, Elon Musk is hosting a competition, a design competition through SpaceX to design pods for the Hyperloop. 
so they have the the design for the track is pretty much set but they're trying to figure out exactly what kind of stuff they want to have in the actual physical pods that transport you around and so next summer in around june they're going to have a design competition like they're going to have the the results of a design competition to to put together ideas for a pod like obviously they have some ideas but they want to kind of uh see if there's anybody out there like research teams or university students that could do it better yeah i, I yeah go ahead and talk about it because i just think this is awesome oh yeah and you know we we'd mentioned that the architecture group that generated those uh conceptual drawings that we talked about last week um they they did have designs for pods and the loading system and that kind of thing so i think yeah it's, it's cool to be able to see that and you know science only gets stronger with more input from from other people so even if you think you have the best design it doesn't hurt to to reach out and and see what other ideas people have and integrate aspects or or kind of take designs from other people that that might work a bit better for what you're looking for so the yeah the, apparently mid August they they announced that they're doing this and then mid August they're going to announce rules different criteria for the pods as well as uh, the prizes that you can get if you're design oh. I guess they they probably wouldn't pick a design as the winner I I guess they would if they if it was a really standout thing but they would probably pick if they're going to use this thing from your design to incorporate into their pod. I, I think it's it's so cool and it's it, this is almost like reverse crowdfunding yeah it's like it's like crowd engineering yeah yeah and design competitions have been around for a while like i know well I, spacex itself was one what's that spacex had one oh did they? they yeah for their space like yeah. shuttle type design yeah oh, okay yeah, like I know even the Alberta government put out a design competition for their, their license plates that they're going to redesign and reissue. Right. But there's a big uproar over that, or big for Alberta, I guess, <laughs> that I guess they were saying, A, they're just trying to get free design work out of people. Yeah. And the other thing is that they weren't going to like an actual Alberta-based design firm to do the design for it. They're like, oh, just give us your designs. And mm-hmm. like, I don't know, I guess... It's a double-edged sword in that case because depending if it's like a public, uh, public service type thing that you're just trying to get free work versus this where there's actual legitimate reasons to get more of yeah like a crowdfunded or crowdsourced yeah. design aspect. Right. Yeah. The that whole thing it kind of comes up every time a usually government organization tries to do that. There was a big kerfuffle over the 2017. What do they call it? Sequicentennial. For Canada, okay, There's right, yeah, a design contest for the the flag or the logo for that. There was prize money involved, but they were still like, there are so many good Canadian design companies that we could do this graphic design, and they just they just let any old Canadian submit a design. Yeah, <laughs> so I sort of I don't know, I don't know well, how even, I feel about that. Even with the prize money, it's like probably maybe fifteen hundred bucks combined, if that, in prize money they'll hand out. Yeah, which is really cheap for you know crowdsourced or for design work and you get a bunch of options from different people so it technically is more economic to do a design competition versus go to an actual design firm to do it but right i guess people are always going to see the dark side of those types of things <laughs> i'm not i'm not sure there is a strong dark side here no 
there are other choices they could have made than they didn't. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's fine. Okay. Uh, so up first, the story, the, the actual main story we have today is a really, really cool one. I, I was stalling there to, to actually put these in order. Um, but this, this is one that I just read last night. Like it came out, it was, this is the last story that got put in here. Mm-hmm. Um, scientists, a biotech firm in San Francisco has come up with a way to 3D print rhinoceros horn that has the same genetic makeup as, as if it came from a live rhinoceros. Uh, and so they, I, I guess this is probably more of a press thing than it is a, sort of uh an altruistic here we are and we're not we don't want any recognition we're we're just doing this because we're good what they're actually trying to i mean obviously they're a business they have to promote their their product um but what they're gonna plan what they plan to do or what they're talking about doing is 3d printing just a bunch of rhinoceros horn uh because at, at the moment rhinoceros a lot of species of rhinoceros are going either endangered or they're um, extinct was it threatened yeah there are a couple yeah. that have been that have gone extinct and if they, they they say if they can flood the market for rhinoceros horn then poachers will have no incentive to go and kill rhinoceros for their for their horn which yeah cool new story and immediately made me think this is something that we can apply to all kinds of stuff if we can do that for rhinoceros horn maybe we can do it for ivory tusks from uh, so that they could stop poaching elephants. Maybe we could do this for shark fin, so they would stop killing sharks. There, there just seems like so many things. If you can three D print uh, animal material that has the same genetic makeup as that animal, then there are all kinds of applications. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I know there's a big thing, and recently I heard about it again about the incent, the initiative to destroy all the elephant all the ivory like yeah i guess i think there's a bunch of confiscated ivory and just stockpiles of it wherever that's mm-hmm. out of the market and they're like considering destroying it just to make it unavailable but then people are saying that that will just like spike the price of ivory and cause more incentive to poach so yeah it's one of those tricky things it's you know how do you handle that kind of situation and yeah i guess in this case you're doing the opposite where you're flooding the market so the price goes down and it just becomes more available and you can't really distinguish which one is, is real or not. Right. Um, but yeah, like, I don't know, I guess, yeah, it's that kind of thing where if you can't tell if it's not real, then it shouldn't really make a difference. And Yeah, exactly. The, one of the things that the, um, the, the article that I read here talks about is kind of the downside of this is that it might have, it might kind of have the opposite effect. if, if basically if people hear that there's going to be more rhino horn because there are medicinal properties that people claim this kind of thing has, or, I mean, in the case of ivory, I think it's mostly decorative, but uh, they're saying that a better way would be to educate people about the fact that there are no medicinal properties than to flood the market with it. Cause that might just actually get more people to think, Oh, now I can get some. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think overall, it's kind of the right idea in terms of making it not worthwhile for poachers to go and 
basically hunt rhinoceros or, or elephants to extinction. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So the next story, Mike put no stories as extremely important to him to get in the show, but he does have a few later on. The next story I have here is one that we talked to quite a bit about offline yesterday, trying to, uh, trying to figure out exactly how it works. And it might lead to some interesting conversations because you, you were a little skeptical of the good of this. Um, this is news that came out uh, yesterday, two days ago. It's the 21st. This came out two days ago. Uh, and so it was in, I believe it was published in science. Yeah. Basically talking about um, a new bit of technology, a new bit of chemistry that can, could possibly transform uh, the way we store solar energy. So right now, the way we collect solar energy from, uh, from solar panels, basically we have to, as soon as the energy hits the solar panel, as soon as the, the light hits the solar panel, we have to trap it and carry it away because the, the electricity that's, that's converted from the sunlight only lasts in only stays as electricity right there for a very fleeting fraction of a second. And this, this technology that they're working with, which I think is like buckyballs and different uh, carbon composites uh, will allow you to tra- to hold the electricity in the, mat- in the solar material for up as long as weeks, which would allow you basically to not have to worry so much about collecting and transporting the energy to a, to a battery or to some sort of energy storage facility immediately. It would let you kind of defer doing that and gather it at a time or, or even leave it in the system for longer so that it would already, you'd already have energy in the grid when you need it rather than having to be moving, constantly moving it, uh, from the solar collector to uh, storage fa- energy storage facilities and back out. Right now, we're basically the reason we can't rely on solar power is because when the clouds go away, or sorry, when the clouds show up and the sun goes away, the solar panels can't do anything because all the electricity that they were storing get, has to be used up immediately or it disappears. And so this would allow you to to go through to make it through cloudy or rainy days. Because the energy would stay stored in these chemical systems. So I don't know, Mike. You were you were skeptical. Have you changed your mind? Are you still you st- you you were thinking that battery technology might be might serve this kind of purpose better? Yeah, I think I wouldn't call it skepticism so much as just trying to understand why we need this versus or kind of what purpose it serves. Like my understanding of photovoltaic cells is you have the incident photon that generates a current when it hits the cell like it mm-hmm. you know kind of the, the high school first year university explanation is that the photon hits and causes an electron to move down the the current path like i and obviously there's more to it but i didn't even understand i didn't even realize that there, a goal was to store the energy within the cell itself because the point is to generate a current and then charge up a uh, a power storage right. cell, right? So, and, you know, this article didn't even go into 
how, what storage capacity it had or kind of how long you could go, like how much charge it could hold over how much time. It just said that it holds charge for eight weeks or whatever, but it doesn't talk about, it doesn't make, it doesn't convince me that, oh yeah, this is something we really need. Maybe that's kind of, it doesn't sell itself very well. It says, yeah, you can do it, which is cool. And it talks about how the current systems don't allow for that. And this one does, which is good, but it's like, well, like, there's so much bigger things to focus on, like battery technology that offers so much more than kind of the advantages that this offers. I, I just don't see the huge benefit to it, I guess. Right. So the analogy they make is to photosynthesis, the way that plants are able to take in light very efficiently and basically store it in, I mean, in this case, in sugars. And so what they're basically trying to do is replace the what they describe as the expensive and inefficient silicon, the current silicon solar cells, with more of a plastic type thing, which is similar in idea to the way plants will store energy. Basically using one system to actually trap the photons and convert the, the light into electrical energy. And then another system that would accept those moving electrons and, and store that capacity. The dream, I think, like this wouldn't necessarily work within the confines of today's grid, but it could enable the next generation of power grid where you don't need to have huge power plants every so often in, in big cities or in rural areas the entire grid itself it would be capable of containing the energy and because basically the entire earth can't always be covered in clouds if you distribute your grid enough you're always going to have somewhere that's gathering solar energy and so you wouldn't have to worry if it's cloudy where you are other places in the world or other places just beyond the edge of the cloud are going to be gathering solar energy that you can use. Yeah. And if, if an entire huge area is cloudy, you can still depend on the energy stored in the grid itself, as opposed to having, as opposed to needing expensive and, and heavy and bulky batteries. The, the grid itself would kind of be its own battery. I think that's the, the big sort of idea here is that they were able to show that this can be done rather than being like, Hey, this is a technology that we can apply right away to our current grid. See, and f for me, like, you know, you have your, say a solar farm mm -hmm. and, you know, a battery storage facility that accepts that power that's generated. But I don't understand like these self, these self containing solar cells that contain energy themselves. To me, it's just additional storage. It it doesn't offer any advantage over battery storage, in the in the amount that I've been able to gather from what this technology offers. So it's like, well, why not just focus on battery technology or throw another battery in there to store more energy? It doesn't. I don't understand why you'd need the cells themselves to store energy. If it's cloudy, it's cloudy, and then they're still not going to be generating energy, and that energy has to be stored somewhere. So why not just make better batteries or more batteries. I mean, they are, that is something that they're working on in parallel. 
battery technology for the last like since I guess since lithium ion batteries or lithium lithium polymer batteries they have only been able to make incremental improvements there hasn't been you don't see this wafer thin smartphone with a flexible screen that is able to power itself for six weeks yeah we have an iphone that's six millimeters thick instead of seven millimeters thick and gets about the same battery life like we're making our processors more efficient right rather than making the battery technology better so until we get, and they're working on that, there's a bunch of stuff that we've talked about in past episodes about uh, the the promise of graphene and how it could be used to store uh, electricity and really, really efficient batteries. But I think this works well in parallel with that. If you can come up with a hybrid system where the, the grid itself is able to store some energy and you'd also have these highly efficient batteries that are really, A, really quick to charge up and will also have a lot of capacity i think you we could basically completely revolutionize the our electricity grid and basically stop becoming dependent on coal for our energy and stop becoming stop our dependence on oil we could basically all just buy tesla threes when they come out in 2016 and 2017 and we wouldn't need to rely on these fossil fuels I'd like to think there's it's possible that something else could come up in the intervening time, but I'd like to think that that if we immediately around 2020 or 2030 or something in that next 20 to 10 or 20 years range, if we could just stop relying on fossil fuels or things that put more carbon into the atmosphere, we can within another 150 to 200 years get back down to our baseline of carbon dioxide levels and start cooling uh our oceans back to where they were again so i just think that it's not this isn't necessarily going to be the the be-all and end-all of energy storage or energy production i just think it's a really awesome proof of concept and the more you can work on this in conjunction with battery technology i think it just serves everyone better yep the goal i think is to have to eventually get to, I think, uh, I forget if uh, it was Frank Dyson that actually that I actually read about this from, but like the goal is to have a Dyson sphere around the sun where we're just using some sort of a, a more advanced solar energy collection and just gathering all the energy of the sun and harnessing it. And I think if we can get a huge amount of surface area on Earth collecting energy, we can basically replace all our other energy needs i've seen i think we've probably talked about this in the the alternative energy thing where we had the the area on earth that would need to be covered in solar panels for us to generate all our electricity needs and it's like relatively tiny patch in the sahara or the the gobi desert but we also said that was never the hurdle that was never the limiting factor for right for solar or for energy independence on from fossil fuels like on its honestly, I I'm waiting for the solar cells to get, you know, reasonably affordable, to have them, yeah, in our in our house, it's 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 a no brainer to have that. Yeah. It's just the payback period is a bit long, at this point. Well, the cool thing is, and and we had uh, on Ottawa, my other podcast, we 
we interviewed someone from an, a co-op, a renewable energy co-op in Ontario or in Ottawa. And they basically will, you can donate, donate, quote unquote, your house to, or your school or whatever, to have solar panels installed on the roof. And you will, they will defer some of that cost and you will slowly gain a little bit of money as you add energy back into the grid. That's but you're not, you're not harvesting the energy yourself. They're just kind of paying you. They're to piggybacking on your space. space. Yeah. yeah. But I think that's, that's something that will have to happen in larger scale for us to actually get anywhere super serious with, uh, with solar energy. I think we have to work as communities to, to fund it and as communities to kind of defer the costs of the people for the people that actually have it installed on their property or, or near their property. All right. Uh, you have a story here about nano robots that sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, I think the the title's a little deceiving. I think Uh-oh. it's. Uh, I got really excited when I read it, but this isn't a fantastic voyage. <laughs> no, it's it's essentially they put little ferromagnetic particles, I guess, into a bloodstream or a blood like substance, and uh, they expose it to an alternating magnetic field or an oscillating magnetic field, and if they were able to make them move and actually direct them towards, like, kind of move them around, depending mm-hmm. on... I don't know if they move the magnet itself or just change the field to make them move, but uh, it's kind of like a... I don't know, kind of like a... I don't know, like those little toys where you have the little kind of thing inside, kind of like an Etch-A-Sketch type thing, where you, okay, you have, like, yeah. a magnet underneath and it kind of drags it right through whatever it's in it's a similar kind of thing so they're they're saying it's promising to be able to deliver medicine and specifically cancer fighting elements to the cancer cells versus just pumping your body full of the medicine and letting the bloodstream deliver it everywhere versus a target a more targeted delivery system right uh so that that's the hope with this so uh yeah and they're they're nano nano scale uh, little kind of particles. Um, they're not robots. They're not mechanized or anything like right. that. Um, but they're they're little strings of of ferromagnetic. Ferromagnetic is the right word, right? That's that magnetic yeah. one. Yeah. yeah, ferromagnetic particles that, uh, when exposed to the field, say like an an MRI type machine, probably not as big as that, but maybe a yeah. more kind of device that you can just kind of run past through the body, right? And have it target the cells that that you want it to. So. Um, that's pretty cool yeah more more advances in medicine delivery and and hopefully promising for for cancer research and because yeah no one no one really likes chemotherapy you know it's i think that's fair to say what's that yeah it's fair to say completely fair to say (laughs) but for for most people if not everyone that's kind of the only real option yeah versus like you know there's a billion alternative remedies that don't really do anything yeah um, there's there's symptom relief for sure, but there isn't anything that really fights the cancer cells. More yeah, there's nothing that fights the cancer cells. Yeah. So what they're working on now is targeting having drugs that can be placed somewhere in yeah. a person, and then make their way to the target area and then release their drugs. Yeah. So th- this accomplishes the delivery aspect. Yeah, the swimming. Yeah. It's it sounds cool. I. I I might just actually watch this video right now because it sounds awesome. It describes them. It says it's an S-like motion. 
yeah, like a yeah, like a swimming type type motion. It almost yeah. It looks to me kind of like uh, when you have a uh, one of those helicopter seeds, okay, from trees that kind of in gravity they fall, but in a circular pattern. Right. It kind of seems like that, but just in a magnetic field. Yeah. So they kind of twirl around and go in the direction of the yeah. the field. I my my question was because the, these trials were done in like a controlled environment with like a blood a thickened fluid that's yeah I think they said thicker than blood yeah and they were able to move it their body length every second I think so like twenty nanometers a second which right really slow but um I I'm wondering if it would actually be able to fight the natural blood bloodstream flow rate like the current right. I don't know how quickly it would move if it was trying to fight the current. Or I guess you'd have to... I don't know. I, I don't know how that would work. So it's not... Um, they're, they're called nano. But this is not... This particular thing is not... Like when you say that would be a really slow swimming, <clears throat> they, they say it's about 10 micrometers across. So I'm not... It's not fast, obviously. But ten micrometers per second is a thousand times, or yeah, a thousand times faster than. I thought it was ten, 10 nanometers. Nanometers. There's a there's a scale on the video. We'll put a link to the to the video. But yeah, it says they're ten maybe ten micrometers it across. As nano because I just saw the nano name. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the, it's definitely a thing where people put the word nano into stuff to make it like that's the buzzword. No, um, I know, but I I thought I remember, I saw the scale and I I read it as nano, but mm. maybe I didn't. There there are nanoparticles apparently that they deliver. Okay. The scale of the the actual thing is the scale of the entire robot or whatever they want to call it swimmer is ten micrometers. They say here. Still cool, but and it's about a thousand times faster than you were describing. If it was going ten nanometers a second, I don't think it would ever get to where you wanted it to go. Oh yeah, ten micro. No, so it's ten. It's ten. Okay, so ten micrometers long. Yeah, but One it's probably nanometer wide, nanometer scale width. Ah, uh, I don't know. I don't think it's quite that small. Like nanometers is like two. It's like two atoms, isn't it? Is like a nanometer. Like a nanometer is like ten angstroms. Then an angstrom is an atomic distance. Yeah. But the the scale that they're working with is nanoscale, and I think that's right. the that's the important part. Yeah. Uh, any more on that story? No, I think it's it's just it's just cool and yeah, nano robots. Yeah, I I'd say go check out the video because it's it. It's cool to see. I always say it's cool to see stuff on that small of scale that we have cameras that can actually pick that up, even though like the human eye couldn't see it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the next story I have here will not have any spoilers uh, for Jurassic World. No. Uh, but we are going to talk. I want to talk a little bit about this this story that I saw, and also it reminded me of an old XKCD. Um, basically, I wanted to talk about conversion from dinosaurs on earth to us having birds on earth now and people always say like oh you know the dinosaurs went extinct and some species of dinosaurs did go extinct 65 million years ago a lot of them did in fact 
but the ones that didn't evolved very quickly, shrank, grew not grew feathers, but grew more feathers, and are birds now. <laughs> and also, arguably, sharks. They're uh, sharks. To, uh, sharks were separate. They were also alive then, right? Um, but basically, everything about the the morphology of birds is very very similar to dinosaurs and there there are all kinds of stories about how in fact um dinosaurs they i forget where i was going with this but basically they the evolution of dinosaurs into birds started way earlier than we realized or had ever thought about before and most dinosaurs probably had some kind of feather-like system covering their skin, whether or not they were the feathers we would recognize today as being feathers. But those kinds of things don't make it through fossilization. Right. Or at least they very often don't make it through fossilization. But we've definitely started to see a lot more frequently now. We're finding species of dinosaurs that have feathers, and it makes perfect sense because that kind of thing doesn't, it doesn't spring about quickly. Like it's a complicated system and it's probably been around for a very long time. Uh, There, there are a couple of moments in Jurassic world where they very cheekily play with this idea. And I really, I really like it. I'm really just trying to get you to go and see it as soon as possible. (laughs) There is a, I also want to direct your attention to someone posted this on Twitter uh the other day and i thought it was particularly relevant to next kcd showing the separation of time between the they they compare the dinosaurs uh stegosaurus and t-rex and then they compare t-rex and a sparrow uh so they compare both in length of time that they existed and sort of genetic distance like the distance apart on a on a family tree saying that uh, the T-Rex and the Sparrow have more in common, both time-wise and genetically, than a Stegosaurus and a T-Rex, which are both dinosaurs. Like, they, mm. they are just, Sparrows are just dinosaurs that are smaller and have evolved, to, rather than having teeth, they have beaks. Yeah. And which is awesome. Yeah, and for, for I don't want to say a lot of people, some people, it's difficult to kind of, rationalize how that type of change can happen yeah but as as humans and you you are still i you're on the record as having said you're going to make a video regarding this but i am as as humans we are very incapable of grasping time time scales like outside of human length you know within a hundred years even 200 years is kind of like that's a long time grasp. ago. And it's, if you look at the, what the world 200 years ago in civilization, it's like, can you believe we were like that 200 years ago? But at least with that, it's, you're within a couple generations of you know, human life. But when you're talking like millions of years, it's like, that's out the window. And yeah. anything you think is possible within that time frame, you almost need to kind of throw that to the side and be like, well... <laughs> Yeah. The evidence shows that this actually did happen, and given given enough time, that kind of stuff can happen. Yeah. 
I'm just going to quote this XKCD directly. It's number 1211 in case you don't want to follow the link that I'll put in the show notes. Um, Birds aren't descended from dinosaurs. They are dinosaurs, which means that the fastest animal alive today is a small carnivorous dinosaur, Falco peregrinus. It preys mainly on other dinosaurs, which it strikes and kills in midair with its claws. This is a good world. (laughs) That kind of sums up uh, Jurassic Jurassic Park movies and my enjoyment of Jurassic World nicely. Very cool stuff. Yeah. Uh, Okay. I think your story is next. And, oh yeah, this one. Uh, So let's talk a bit about trans fats. So for those who have been playing along in the, the health the health food theme that we've kind of been running here, that the news is changing every day as far as what's good for you, what's bad for you. And for a long time, uh, people have known or been aware of the, the health risks of trans fats. Uh, you know, pretty much everywhere you look, it will say no trans fats or, you know, it advertises that they don't have trans fats or non-hydrogenated oil. Uh, so the FDA this week just passed the the act of banning trans fats in the United States. Uh, it had been banned for X number of years in places like Europe or, mm-hmm. or Russia or Asia or those types of places. Um, but now just recently banned in the United States. And they have companies have until 2018 to... Something like that. Yeah, to rid all their products of of non of hydrogenated oils um so artificial trans fats so they're not banning trans fats period but the artificial ones that arise out of hydrogenation of of oils yeah uh, to make them and i guess just reading the the article it talked about how hydrogenation makes the oils uh more solid at room temperature so yeah. like margins and and that type of stuff um now companies for the longest time have been using non-hydrogenated oils uh, in their products because, you know, it's been known since the 80s that they weren't ideal for you. And it was kind of a long time coming, this ban. So yeah. it's it's not, it doesn't mean a whole lot in a product sense as far as, oh, now we can't, you know, margin isn't available anymore because margin for the longest time, at least as far as I can remember, have been non-hydrogenated oil. Right. Um, so, but it's, it's more of a... Th- a statement from, you know, a health authority saying, yeah, this is bad enough to actually ban, which is, you know, you can't say the same for a lot of other things that you hear are bad for you. Yeah. Um, it's more kind of up to the individual consumer to limit what they're putting in their bodies. But when something gets banned, I think that says enough to say that it should be avoided. Yeah. The interesting thing that I always find with these kinds of, like food or drug bans is that the company like the FDA, for instance, has been pushing to ban trans fats for a really long time and getting a lot of pushback from lobbies like margarine, for instance, or company, any company that makes food or specifically kind of fast food or junk food has been using trans fats for a long time since they basically figured, figured out how to hydrogenate oil. Yeah. And so basically what these companies have now do as as an internal procedure is they say okay this is coming down the pipe let's fight it for 15 or 20 years while we come up with something to replace that process and then 
So all the big companies are now completely ready to not have trans fats in their stuff, but they've been they've been preparing for this since it was first proposed that maybe these are bad for you and we should get rid of them. But yeah. they keep they fight tooth and nail to buy themselves time to be able to come up with it. They're they're not ever going to come out and say that. They're going to say, okay, yeah, we we're now focusing on our health. We've heard about this bad research. They know it. They don't necessarily know going in that this is going to turn out to be unhealthy, but as soon as they hear it's unhealthy, they go, all right, we got like, let's start the clock. We got about 15 or 20 years until the FDA, until the FDA fights through our lobbying and actually makes this kind of, this kind of change law. And so I think that, I mean, obviously it's good that they're now doing this, but it, uh, it's a little sneaky the way they actually get it done. Yeah. When I know, you know, New York has come under scrutiny for kind of the stances they've taken on on food specifically and the regulations or bannings that they've had, you know, the the soda the soda ban or the soda law or whatever that was a Bloomberg yeah. that came large up with sodas. It? Yeah. Yeah. Um bland, yeah, banning the sizes, the extra large sizes of, of soda in, in restaurants and that kind of stuff. And you know, I think it's 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 only with someone taking that first step of doing it that the attention is kind of given to it. And even, even now, you know, when I go to the theater to McDonald's and, you know, I order like a medium and it's giant and I feel sick by the end of it because, you know, it's hard to drink that much in one sitting, yeah. but it's only 25 cents more than the small. So you may as well yeah, you know, exactly. get the bigger one. But in, in reality, no one really needs that much pop. Like, right. so if it's banned, it's just kind of, oh, I guess you can't get it anyway. But I think, yeah, as long as it's being offered, you're going to have people that get it, even though they don't, A, they don't really want it. Like, it's more like, well, it's there and it's bigger and it's better value. And they definitely don't need it. Right. I'm I'm excited. I mean, I think Canada has banned, or at least made regulation that you can't have a certain amount of trans fat or made it very difficult for companies to put trans fat in their thing because you kind of see that across the board but a lot of these companies that a lot of the food we eat is made or at least the companies are owned in the united states yeah. so this is going to spill over to canada pretty quickly if it yeah i was going to say that that's pretty much all the manufacturing is done in the states or you know wherever so yeah. you're not going to have the manufacturing in canada where you're going to have two product lines one with trans exactly. fats, one without yeah yeah um yeah the next story I have here is basically I just wanted to kind of talk to you about this because I haven't used the search engine DuckDuckGo. And so AI was curious if you have used it. Have you? I have not. Have you, You've heard about it though. I have heard about it, yeah. So DuckDuckGo advertises themselves, as far as I know, as this company that is kind of the anti-Google in the search world. Their their prime directive, so to speak, is to not collect data about you and not use it for advertising purposes. So what they do instead, uh, as far as I know, they do have ads on their search results, but they're ads that are directly related to the thing you're searching for, as opposed to being related to you and the information that a company like Google knows about you. Hmm. Which seems good overall. I'm not sure that it, again, it's not really altruistic. They're just coming up with, they're responding to criticisms of companies like Google and Facebook that are mining 
a lot of information about individual users and selling that information to advertisers. Even if they're not selling your actual information, they're selling demographic data in order to reach advertisers that will then use that demographic data to reach you. Even if, Mm -hmm. even if you're technically anonymous in that process, they're still learning about you and using that to target specific things to you. And DuckDuckGo are specifically aligning themselves against that and saying, we don't want to know anything about you search on our platform. We will have ads, but they will be related to things you're searching for and not things we know about you through other methods. Would you consider using DuckDuckGo? I'm thinking about trying it out just to see. I don't have a reason to. I, I like the Google services and I don't know, maybe I like selling myself for <laughs> convenience. Like, I don't right, know. I, title. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I honestly don't see, like, I can see why people might not want it, but me personally, I don't have an issue with, uh, with you know google learning stuff and and making my web experience more personalized like how is that a bad thing yeah oh i agree i i agree with you but i i think it's an interesting consideration more than anything else yeah i i totally support people who want to do that i i don't think people's fears or reservations are necessarily warranted or justified but if they have them then you know that's fine like i'm not gonna necessarily judge them or or tell them that they shouldn't be doing that but if they're going to try to convince me it's like well i I don't really have an issue with that um right but you know i've i'm always up for even when it comes to say like bing like if if i happen to just for some reason say like type a search result or sort type a search in a url that in a url bar and the default search engine for that browser happens to be bing like it wouldn't be mine obviously but just whoever's i'm not going to just go to google and research that same thing i'll just use the search results that bing gives me because i don't know what's in all for all intents and purposes bing probably is just as good as google like sure you know i so i'm not the kind of person who will go out of their way to stick to one search engine per se um so yeah you know it it might be worth trying DuckDuckGo. you know i've been using slack lately and it's been working well and there's definitely pros to it so i i don't see maybe for a while i might change my default browser to DuckDuckGo and J- it's it just the search engine right yeah well that's what did i say oh default browser yeah, the yeah default search engine for my browser yeah uh i just changed my default on my phone to see what because i'd never done it before and th- why not do it now right it's uh it's interesting i searched for gmail which <laughs> They're probably like, why is this guy doing this? <laughs> uh, it It's definitely very clean. I think one of the nice things about being the guy who gets to come in and do something new is that you don't have to follow the rules of what has been in place for 10 or whatever, 15 years that Google search has been probably more than that, probably almost 20 years now. Uh, you don't have to follow that. So you can kind of create a whole new paradigm Whereas Google have kind of cornered themselves into this is how Google is going to look. If you see something different, it's going to be really jarring. So basically Google can like, they can tweak the color of blue, the shade of blue they use for their links. And they can kind of tweak, move things around by a couple pixels, but they can't, they can't drastically redesign their search interface because everyone that uses it, people like us, discluded, 
it's just going to go crazy if something that they use every day and count on is slightly different. But I'm I'm intrigued by uh, the the thing that made me uh, decide to put this in the show is that apparently since NSA leaks started happening and everyone was thinking, oh, like maybe we can't trust Google, maybe we can't trust these companies with our our data about us. Maybe let's try DuckDuckGo and the other big thing that they were uh, citing as a reason for DuckDuckGo's traffic skyrocketing is the fact that with Apple devices, you can now go into, like if I go into settings for Safari on my phone, I can go and pick, like there's Yahoo, Bing, Google, and DuckDuckGo. So it's Mm. one of the default four that they include in there. And uh, it's from my one search for Gmail, it seems pretty interesting and I'm, so I might give that a try for a week or something, yeah, just to see what it's like. I just tried it on my my Chrome on my desktop here, and it looks like it does similar stuff as Google as far as you know searching for ten pounds in kilograms gives you an actual conversion mm-hmm. uh you can say you know what time is it in wherever, and it tells you the time just as a separate kind of leading result right at the top mm-hmm. the same way that Google does so yeah. It has a similar, I guess, knowledge graph type setup. Um, so I, I think the workflow would be similar to Google. So they're making it pretty painless to kind of go from one to the other. Because, yeah, like you said, people are used to doing it one way. So you don't want it to be too drastically different. Yeah. Uh, but you have that flexibility to kind of do things a bit differently if, if you want it to and, and see how people respond. I like. Yeah. I actually like the color scheme they have. I do. I do. I do too. It's yeah. It's it's almost it's easy on the eyes. The 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 problem that I have here is that if you want to go and look up DuckDuckGo, you have to Google it, <laughs> which I just think is really funny. Right. <laughs> like I did the I, same. I did the same thing. <laughs> if I go to DuckDuckGo.com, uh, it seems weird to Google. Oh, I guess DuckDuckGo.com is just the search engine, which makes the most sense uh, in the world. But uh, it's interesting. Yeah. They have different themes. You can customize it. That seems crazy. Mm. But it, it, the the homepage, if you go to DuckDuckGo.com, it, it is almost identical to the way Google looks. It's sort of very minimal. There's a little sidebar that you can pop open. Yeah. There's one line of text underneath the search bar. But uh, other than the fact that there's a duck instead of a Google logo, it's very similar. Yeah. So it's it's comforting to people who are used to Google, but it also encourages people to sort of give it a try because they already know what, what to do. I guess we can be thankful that uh, Google can't copyright or trademark the white background and, <laughs> and darker text. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty much the standard. Like, that's all yeah. you can do on a website. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, you have a story here that apparently was recommended to us by a hopefully future fan. Yeah. Uh, so I, I met a, a guy yesterday, and he's an IT guy, and mentioned our, our show, and he thought that was kind of interesting and cool that we talked about science and tech, and he asked if I came across a story about self-healing concrete, and I was like, oh, kind of cool, I hadn't heard about that. So happened to look it up, and it's actually a story, at least this article is about a month old, uh, so I guess it missed our, our feeds, but uh, it turns out that a... Uh, a guy from a university, I think, came up with a a method of mixing concrete that allows it to self 
repair cracks in it. Hmm. Um, and the basis is that he mixes in a bacteria that stays dormant as long as it's dry, like not exposed to water. Um, so this mixture is, is the bacteria kind of surrounded or mixed in with its own food. And then when the water activates it and, and causes it to, to become alive, I guess, it, uh, it eats the food and then secretes uh, calcium carbonate or limestone. Hmm. And oh. that's what fills in the cracks because calcium carbonate is a key ingredient in cement already. Um, so this is essentially just self, like like the title is, is self-healing cement. Um, and they actually have before and after pictures, like demos of doing it. And I guess the whole thing is that the cracks can be as long as you want them to be. Like they can be kilometers long, but it's yeah. the width that's the limiting factor. Right. So I think as long as they're kind of like millimeter, like millimeter wide cracks, then they can sufficiently uh, seal themselves with this method. Um, but anything bigger, like it's not going to reheal a chunk out of it. Right. But it's it's kind of the micro cracks that form under stress and then get bigger once water gets in and freezes and splits the concrete open because that's what causes the concrete failure is the water yeah. that gets in and then freezes. Right. Um, this allows it that once that water gets into these micro cracks, it will self heal itself. So ideally, those cracks don't get bigger and propagate and and cause failure. So yeah. this is supposed to kind of you know quote unquote revolutionize the the type of products that are used and, and ideally reduce the amount of repair and and restoration that's done on a lot of concrete structures because right. in places like Canada where there are you know, pretty drastic changes in, in climate on a yearly basis from season to season, then this should kind of reduce the amount of, of wear and tear on concrete. Right. Um, so I, I thought it was, I thought it was cool, a cool little development. And it's one of those things that isn't kind of groundbreaking and life changing for everyone, but for the people that use concrete, it probably solves quite a bit of issues that they experience. Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of is life changing for everyone, though. If this kind of technology can be widely adopted, oh, for sure, yeah, there'd be no sidewalk cracks anymore. Like, it, yeah. you could target—I mean, unless there's like an earthquake or something—you could, you could hit cracks immediately as they form, yeah. As opposed to waiting, if you could adapt this to something like asphalt, you could repair cracks in the road without having to patch it with hot asphalt. Yeah, I think it's. I think it would, the application would be a bit different when it comes to. And asphalt's different. Asphalt's not. Concrete. It's different. I know. But yeah. um, I think places like California will use concrete for their roads. They don't use the asphalt because right. they don't have the same seasonal changes. But yeah, this I think the bigger application is the micro cracks with stress in like foundations and buildings versus yes. things that are designed for wear and tear, like sidewalks and roads. Because I think those the cracks are more like you know you have roots come up and just. <laughs> crack open the sidewalk versus yeah. stress cracks like true that's true you wouldn't consider those stress cracks that's just like damage yeah. but i think it wouldn't hurt to use it so that yeah if you did have micro cracks they'd still heal themselves yeah i i want to point out i i think the reason we didn't see this come across feeds is because it's from the netherlands which that's that's great um but this guy's name is hank jonkers Presumably pronounced Hank Yonkers, but uh, that is an amazing name. <laughs> I love 
the name Hank. It, apparently, a short apparently Hendrick is shortened to Hank. Okay. Um, in in uh, Scandinavian countries, but yeah. Hank Yonkers is an awesome name, and the, so he's the guy that came up with the bioconcrete. They're calling it. And he, as part of this, was nominated for a European Inventor Award, yep. which is pretty cool. Yeah. So see Thanks, that Hank. in the future in your bags of cement. Yeah. I mean, it seems like you could incorporate this into, or is that what they're, is that the whole point of this, is that they're incorporating it into the concrete itself when it's poured? Yeah. So you, you would mix automatically it, fix itself. Yeah, you mix it with it in it. Yeah. And you pour it with, with it already in it. Yeah. So that's distributed throughout the concrete. And so no matter where the crack is, it should there should be sufficient bacteria in there to kind of self-heal the crack. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, thanks, listener, for uh, suggesting that story to us. Yeah. I find it strange because we, I mean, I know between you and I, we probably follow about half the RSS feeds on the internet, but things do still make it through. Yeah. If you see a story that you think is interesting definitely send it our way oh yeah for sure and yeah this guy he said that he comes across a lot of stuff in his it work so he'll he'll start sending me the stories he comes across cool so, got a new new background contributor <laughs> awesome <laughs> uh so from from one type of construction to a different type of construction uh i came across this story earlier this week uh i think this is also netherlands uh talking about 3d printing a bridge and they're talking about 3d printing this bridge in situ so like starting on the bank (laughs) starting on the bank of a river and building your way across the river like as as you go kind of cantilevering out the robot would move along on the stuff that it's just created and uh they're talking so the Apparently, there's a canal in Amsterdam called the Amsterdam Canal, and so that's where they're trying this out. It seems more like a proof of concept than uh, yeah. sort of the wave of the future for bridge building. But mm. it, it it's really, really cool. I, I know I've seen, like, obviously 3D printing is becoming more and more of a thing. But the idea that you can 3D print a structure that will then be able to support itself almost immediately like they, they would 3d print this as they go and the robot would just kind of move along with the construction um and so this is obviously it, it's strong so it's metal as opposed to um like plastic that you typically see with uh with 3d printing i don't know what, what's what's your take on this are you excited as i am about the future of 3d printing yeah it looks really cool i'm, I'm on the site right now and they have some gifts set up there kind of showing how it would work and it looks like they actually printed a 3d printed bridge with a guy walking across it like it's only like three feet wide and yeah but it's it looks strong and and i guess the whole thing behind with my limited civil engineering knowledge it sounds i understand that the less welds that you can achieve like the less kind of individual weak pieces point. the yeah. better yeah because those those are cause for weak points so this ideally will have no welds because it's all just a single solid body uh so there's that benefit um and yeah like if you can just load in the design then it's essentially like there's not going to be 
you know, imperfections in the human sense because you have computers just guiding where this thing is being being built. Um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm excited to see where this is going to go. I think that's that's really cool. Yeah, they they have some neat gifts. I don't know if this is actually how they're going to do it, but they have basically it looks like they've anthropomorphized two robots to start on either side of the river and build their way to the center and kind of meet there and then have the one robot finish the the cross braces in the middle. Yeah. If that is remotely how they're doing it, then that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that's how they're doing it because that would be a huge challenge engineering wise to have two robots each start building on a separate side of the bridge and have them actually meet in the middle exactly at the spot where they need to connect. But in a two dimensional world that, that seems very plausible in a three-dimensional world. I'm not sure about that. Right. But it, it it's such a cool, again, kind of proof of concept, but it seems like a much faster way if we, assuming we can get the speed of 3D printing to yeah. be a little faster than it currently is. It seems like it would be a lot faster. And again, it would say, it saves on materials because you can, th- you can it, when you 3D print, you can engineer materials that are a lot lighter and maintain their strength compared to just sort of traditional like concrete pouring where you need to ha- you need to pour basically a complete concrete block uh where you can kind of if you if you have a, a sort of engineering or design program like something like autocad i'm thinking about you can see exactly where stresses on materials are and kind of remove as much weight as as possible without limiting the material in those stress points like you'd have the material strong where it needs to be strong but then also know where it could be hollow and not lose any tensile strength. Hmm. Yeah, I think the only... Obviously, they'll have the the engineering done on it as far as the stress stress limits and that kind of stuff, but I know that, especially based, even with, you know, kind of Nick's background in, in uh, materials and, and non-destructive testing and stuff, that kind of the way that you forge a metal determines its mechanical properties and how quickly you kind of heat it and then cool it and how it's formed and that kind of stuff. So just based on, on reading how the actual three, the metal 3d printing and you lay down the powder and kind of laser it to, to kind of heat it and melt it and kind of forge it that onto the next layer. Yeah. Kind of how different it's going to be than your conventional fabrication of the metal pieces for bridges. Right. Um, I think for pedestrian bridges, you could probably get away with with the strength being being fine, but for like you wouldn't see the Golden Gate Bridge being three D printed, right? Large scale stuff. I mean, it yeah. would. I I can see it happening eventually, but for large scale stuff, that's going to be the last kind of thing to yeah. to get this kind of treatment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the last story we have here, I have actually a couple things that I can tie in to this story. Um, this has been on our list of things to get to for a while. So it's kind of below the threshold of importance in those big weeks. Yeah. Um, but I think at this point, we've kind of reached a critical mass where we can talk about this and, and incorporate other stuff into it. Um, so yeah, tell me about Microsoft Wi-Fi. Yeah, I actually kind of learned something in reading about this because I guess Skype already had, like through their, through Microsoft Skype product, they already mm-hmm. offered a Wi-Fi service for, I guess, subscribed Skype users. 
um, they offered hotspots that you could log in with your Skype credentials, and if you had a certain level of account, I'd imagine. Yeah. Uh, but I guess now they're expanding it to their Office 365 subscribers and also expanding the number of Wi-Fi hotspots throughout North America. I don't know if they even have any in Canada, but um, they're just going to create more, I think, to reach 10 million users, I think they, they've mentioned. 10 million hotspots, uh, I see here. Or 10 million hotspots, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and yeah, so they're they're going to kind of start putting that initiative forward to increase the availability of their, their Wi-Fi hotspots for their subscribers. So, And this kind of ties into some of our more recent stories as well with just the expanded availability of, of free Wi-Fi, not only just Wi-Fi availability, but free Wi-Fi, uh, whether you're a subscriber of wherever or just living or being wherever that you'll have access to Wi-Fi. And yeah. I think that you're only going to see more of that for sure. Yeah. The thing that I thought was uh, interesting about this is it comes at around the exact same time that Skype has gone into, is it beta? I guess it's beta on the web where you can now install a plugin. So they're almost at Hangouts level of integration with web browsing. With Hangouts, I think you don't even have to install a plugin anymore. You just kind of yeah. can start from the web. Uh, so Skype, you install a plugin now. If you go to web.skype.com, I believe you'll get a little, mm-hmm. you'll, you'll be able to log into Skype and uh, have video chats. Where in, the entire, what, 10 plus years, all this time that Microsoft has owned it, you haven't been able to just get on the web and have a video chat through Skype, but now this is the thing that hmm. this is the way they're going, obviously. Yeah. But I, yeah, I've, I've logged in a few times and I, I like it. I like the way they're going. I may not use it, but right. I like it. I think if you had a windows phone, you, you might use it. That's true. That's true. Possibly. I, I don't have a lot of contacts on Skype. And if I, the ones that I do have, I, there are people I talked to in first year or so when I got first got Skype. Yeah. The one thing I never liked about Skype was that you just kind of had to, I guess it's kind of the same with the Google products, but it's, it was more explicit with the Skype, how you had to be logged in to receive calls and messages. Yeah. At least in my experience, I was, ne- if I was offline, I wouldn't accept, I wouldn't right. receive any, any calls or messages. So what I like with Hangouts that it just runs in the background and, keeps yeah. you logged in you don't have to worry about being logged in per se i think um, it's been a while that that has been a thing okay but i know for that for a very long time it wasn't also yeah. but it's the same thing with with me like you know i don't have any i've maybe three contacts on skype yeah so granted hangouts i probably have a similar number but yeah i think <laughs> at least everyone kind of has a google account usually but so. yeah. well hang hangouts i I have a ton of contacts on there. Yeah. I, I really like Hangouts and I really like the way that it's just seamless. Yeah. So if Skype I really can like get Hangouts to too, point, I just, everyone's on Facebook. That's, ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. I have lots of Facebook Messenger contacts. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So, uh, we do have some stuff that I want to get to in the after show. Okay. But, uh, for now, I think we're good to end the main show uh those of you who are sticking around it's not that they're less interesting it's just that they're not they're not science news in the with a capital n they're more just news particular to us i was gonna say science doesn't start with an n but news everyone yeah. yeah got it 
<laughs> so uh so for the time do do stay tuned but uh thanks for listening to this week's future chat uh again i'd like to thank audible.com audible.com for helping to support the podcast uh don't forget that you can help us out by visiting audibletrial.com slash unwind uh to get your free 30-day trial as well as your free audiobook and i'll let you know that we will we will be back right here again next week uh with more science and tech talk you can find past episodes of our show uh, and a lot more at unwindmedia.com slash future chat. See you next time. See you guys. Bye. All right. Uh, so first of all, Mike, did you get your any of your battery packs yet? Or have you received a flex delivery? delivery? I, I have received one. Okay. I received it to my work flex delivery. I received my email on Friday. One day I wasn't at work this week. So <laughs> it kind of... Uh, didn't work out as ideal. If I was at work, I'd be perfect. I could just pick it up. But yeah, right. no, I, I did receive one. The others, it got shipped from Richmond. So it only took like two or three days to get here. Okay. Um, the other one's getting shipped from the States in California. So it had to clear customs and all that kind of stuff. Wait, so. where's Richmond? I'm thinking Richmond, Virginia. No, BC. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so you, when you say you got it, it's waiting for you there it's on Monday? It's waiting for me. Okay. It's, yeah. For all, for all intents and purposes, it's, it's been delivered to me. I just don't have it yet. Yeah. Did we talk about whether they can deliver, like whether you will get something at a Canada Post location on a weekend? Or is it only within, they're only still only going to deliver to that place on a weekday? Yeah, like if it's delivered to whatever place, it still has to be within that place's business hours. Right. Um, okay. So, yeah, like for me, the main thing is, I don't know how that would work. Like, I'd, I'd assume if the delivery is to a post office, they're not going to try to deliver there outside of its business hours. Right. Yeah, I have my my Soylent is coming, and I sent it to the shoppers near my house that has a post office built into it. It says, so when I first ordered it, it said anywhere from June 19th, which was two days ago, which was the day after I the shipping notification, uh, anywhere from then until July 6th or something, which seemed like a wide range, but that's fine. And then as soon as the Canada Post notification came up, it said expected delivery on June 24th, which is Wednesday, Thursday, Wednesday. Uh, and so now, and so when it shipped, it was shipping from Mississauga, which is very close to Ottawa. I don't know why if it was shipping on when or Thursday night, Friday morning, why it would be like four, three or four days to get to Ottawa. Right now, it's sitting in Ottawa in a depot. So presumably Monday morning, it's going to make its way immediately to shoppers. But it still says expected delivery on June 23rd. Right. Which is Tuesday. And that seems strange to me. I, I feel like they should know that it's going to be Monday by now. <laughs> Or maybe they just know it's going to be late. But it's a, like it's in Ottawa just awaiting like the final on truck for delivery thing. Right. I don't know. It's strange to me. But uh, so that leads me to I don't think we've talked about it, but in the time that we since we had the last show, Soylent is now delivering to Canada. Yes, I was I signed up on their mailing list to get notified when that was going to happen uh but it came across it came in my rss feeds 
before that email. Like I ordered it before that email actually got to me say, saying they can now do it, which I thought was kind of humorous. And but, unfortunate, really. You should be hearing it from them first. I would think so. But I also understand that there's going to be an initial rush of press going to like the people are going to order it now that it's in Canada. And they didn't, I wouldn't necessarily want to have, if I was them, I wouldn't want to have a rush of people going to order it because they've been sitting there waiting for that email forever. And I wouldn't want them to have, have them coming at the exact same time as all the people coming from press sites, like text sites or science sites. So staggering, it makes sense. And I get that they would want all the press immediately when they can order, when you can order it in Canada, they want to be like, Oh yeah, go order it right now. You can do that. Right. And so it was like a day and a half, maybe two days before I got the email, but I had already placed my order. So it wasn't, it wasn't particularly useful. Right. Um, you have been, you've been motivating me or trying to get me motivated to write about Soylent. So I probably will be doing that with the one week um, pack I ordered. Yeah. Now you said you, I don't know, I don't know if convinced is the right word, but you, you explained to Julia why you thought it was a good idea to yeah. try out Soylent for a week. So yeah. give us slash me that same argument. Okay. So uh, the thing with Soylent, if you're not familiar with it, you should go look at, I believe it's Soylent.com. If it's not, I'm going to, I'm going to be very disappointed in them for not getting that. Um, it is in fact Soylent.com. So that's fine. Uh, it is a complete nutritional replacement. There are things like Slim Fast and Boost and uh, I'm sure there are a bunch of other ones, but that you can kind of use, they say, oh, just drink this and you won't have to eat breakfast. Like this has all the nutrition of a bowl of cereal. But it, you couldn't just drink Slim Fast or Boost forever. You would die of like malnutrition. You're not getting <laughs> right. a, bunch of, a bunch of nutrients that you need. Whereas Soylent promises to have and the the founder of it has been drinking it almost exclusively for a long time uh it replaces everything like you, this is a a powder that you mix with water that replaces every type of nutrient that your body needs to survive and if you haven't looked into it i would really encourage you to go and and check it out because they're kind of like a software company in that they're coming out with updates like basically like patches to their formula and so they just released when they it, simultaneously with this release into canada they came up with version 1.5 of soylent so they tweak some of the sugars you get they tweak some of the salt you get uh there's a couple they use di- a couple of different carbohydrates i believe to give you the, the all the carbs you need for a day but so the to get to the actual reason you asked the question how did i convince julia I think she's kind of still under the impression like we, we've we agreed to do a one week thing. I'm keeping an open mind as to if this works really well. Um, that's awesome. And I'll keep doing it. She's more on the skeptical end thinking that I am going to. This is either going to supplement my nutrition. So like I'll eat all the regular meals I usually eat. And, then some <laughs> sort of it. and so that's why I want to try it out for the week, because maybe it won't be for me. Maybe I will not be able to get on board with it. They say that you kind of have to ramp up. Like you shouldn't just go cold Turkey into liquid only as food. And so I'll I'll probably start with maybe one or two meals, like one meal on the first day, two meals, maybe on the second day. 
but I would like to at some point go for a 24 hour, like 48 hour maybe period within this week, within this week of worth of meals to just replace everything. But that isn't necessarily the goal of so the goal is to like if it it was started, it was founded by a guy who was working in a startup and had no time to eat. Like he was just his work was taking up all his time. So he's like, maybe I can make a a thing out of this. Like he he was trying to experiment with different kinds of really quick to prepare things that would replace all the nutrients he needs. And I like that idea. I like the idea of rather than having to come up with a meal, trying to make sure that it has like you have a a square meal with fruits and vegetables and all of these things that have all the nutrients you need. I like the idea of being able to just grab a scoop of this powder or two scoops of the powder, mix it with water, shake it up and drink it and have that be your nutrition for the next several hours. Yeah. So, and uh, so the package I ordered was, $85 $85 plus tax for seven days worth of meals, uh, which works out to, I think they say 20, it's between 20 and 30 meals, depending on how much you, how much you use in a particular meal. Like if I, like I'm a slightly larger than average human, I will probably need slightly more to get satisfied because they, they the number of calories it gives you is kind of right along the baseline of the average human so male would need slightly more female would need slightly less it would depend on your build and so i think i'll probably want to start out more but i would it this would completely replace the meals that i'm eating if i if i was having it for breakfast i wouldn't also have a bowl of cereal and so i like julia rightly thinks that 85 bucks is a lot of money to spend on something for a week but this isn't necessarily just going to last me one week. It's going to last me a week's worth of meals. Yeah. And at that rate, that's a lot cheaper than going even yeah. like it's cheaper than McDoubles for the calories yeah. you get. <laughs> right. And McDoubles Which is like are, the gold standard of yeah. calorie to cost. <laughs> yeah, <benefit>. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so that's been my point is like this is it's something that I really want to try because it seems it's a really good system to get nutrition you don't have to rely on going and hunting through the cupboard you don't have to necessarily if you go all in on this you don't have to rely on shopping all the time you can get some like they they recommend things you can mix it with like they suggest mixing it with chocolate syrup or something or peanut butter like if if you like the taste of something you can mix it with this it kind right. of it's sort of like tofu in that you can eat it on your on its own and it's okay but it will also kind of take on a flavor if you want to add something like you could make a smoothie with it and like throw in banana or something. It's just designed to give you the nutrients you need. Yeah. So you're you're talking about potentially needing to add more of the soylent to satisfy your needs. You could also just use the baseline and then just add whatever, like a banana or whatever exactly. to it to give you that extra kind of oomph yeah. to kind of fill you up. And if I went and had, or use milk to mix. With yeah, exactly. Yeah. If I went for dinner and had a burger, I would yeah. not also have that <laughs> requisite amount of soylent. Right. So this seven days worth of meals will last me more than seven calendar days. I'm I'm certain right. of it, and yeah. that's that's okay. That's understandable. Yeah. But that means that say this lasts me two weeks. It means that I'm replacing some of two weeks worth of meals with soylent. It doesn't mean that. This isn't an extra $85. This is $85 
going to replace one week worth of meals. Yeah. Which is, it's certainly not ridiculous. And if like compared to buying produce or like, if you wanted to buy super healthy food, you cannot get a week's worth of super healthy food for one human for $85. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. Well, even, even when you go back to like the meal replacement options, if this is, yeah, say 20 meals, that's like, yeah, four bucks. Is it 20 yeah. meals? Yeah. It depends on how much you, you have in there, but they, it's, it's almost certainly more than 20. They say 28 plus meals. Oh, okay. So say 30 then, right? Yeah. So then it's like three bucks, less than three bucks a meal. Yeah. Which for breakfast isn't, isn't horrible. If, if all you have is, have that is for breakfast. Yeah. It can still, it can still work out. Yeah. yeah. And they, like, I should point out, it's $85 for the one week. It And that's if you buy it one time, one week. It gets much cheaper. Like, if you subscribe monthly, you save 15%. Um, and if you subscribe monthly to four weeks worth, you get, it costs $255 for 112 plus meals. So oh, that's like around two bucks, two bucks yeah. per meal. Right. And it's just a matter of buying more. Yeah, I think going back to what you're saying, how you know everyone's, or that, that it would be nice to have to to be sure that you're getting all the nutrition you need. Like having a child, especially early on when they're like just a baby, it's like you want to make sure they're getting the nutrients they need. Yeah, and then you start thinking about yourself, and it's like, well, even for myself, I'd I'd like to know that I'm getting all the nutrients I need. Yeah, because a like people generally eat food for hunger, like for energy, yeah. not. You know, like, man, I could have a hankering for some calcium. Like, you, you want food. Yeah. But when the afterthought needs to be, okay, this is also healthy, if you can just pop a pill of nutrients you need and then not have to worry about the nutrition of your food, like, it's still good to worry about that, but to, to not, for, like, a child who might be a picky eater or just may not be hungry, but they also need the nutrients, then it would be good to be able to have the nutrient side taken care of already. And and I don't know if that's a realistic thing to hope for in the future. Like, there's multivitamins and that kind of thing, but I don't think there's anything that really touts itself as you know a completely nutritionally complete uh, yeah, supplement. Yeah, to have on top of your your food. Yeah, and, and we also don't know the average person doesn't know what kind of nutrition they need on a given right. day. So, yeah. like, I'm looking at the list of ingredients here. Do I get 16.7 milligrams of zinc every day? I don't, I don't know. I don't know what foods have zinc in them offhand. Do I get, uh, let's say 22 milligrams of vitamin E? I have no idea. Yeah. But the research backs up that these are the kind, these are the correct ratios of things you should be having in a daily diet on average. And this allows you to just hit that average exactly day after day. And even if you don't, even if you have it for one meal, you're still going to get, like, you're still going to get some of that thing. So I just think that overall, it's a really easy way to be healthy. And like having, having, it says 12 grams of fiber for every meal. That is going to be really good for your digestive system in general. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess going back to the cost of it, like multivitamins and supplements are expensive. 
Yeah. So considering you're getting all of that included in your meal, like it's a pretty good deal. Exactly. Like it's, it would probably cost more than $3 a day to, <laughs> to get all these supplements put in yeah. a pill. Never mind that it also has the, all these calories. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's all I really wanted to say on the matter, but I'll, I'll get back to you as um, you've been encouraging me to, so I'll probably write about my experiences. Yeah. And then we'll, we'll follow up on the show. Sounds good. Was there anything else you want to talk about uh, after show style? Are you ready to go and celebrate Father's Day? Yeah, I think that's pretty good for today. Agreed. All right. uh, Well, thank you for those of you who who stayed and listened. And uh, we really enjoy having you every week, especially thanks to the live listener, whoever you are. I hope you're not Nick, but if you are, hey, Nick. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you're not Nick. (laughs) I'm not saying I hope you're not Nick, but I uh, I hope whoever you are, you are enjoying the show. And uh, thanks for listening. See you guys. Bye.